roughly 300 franchise brands come on board every year, new franchise brands in the US alone. And we're seeing a wider variety of industries represented from bookkeeping firms to marketing agencies to thinking of that B2B space as well as you know a lot of B2C models and whether it be summer camps for kids or swim lessons, pets, pet boarding. Welcome to Looking Forward, where we speak with experts about marketplace and societal trends, and most importantly, how they might affect you. I'm Jeff Ostroff, the host of Looking Forward. If you're like me, you're fascinated by trends in the future. In fact, several years ago, that was one of the things I focused on in a book I wrote. Hello, Looking Forward listener. That was John Austinson, our non-food franchising expert. And hey, did you hear what he said? Roughly 300 new franchise brands come on board each year. And that's just in the United States. Are you kidding me? And if you heard part one of my conversation with John, you know that there are franchise opportunities all over the world. And they account for millions of jobs and billions and billions of dollars in GDP. And on this episode of Looking Forward, you're going to hear John talk about the huge opportunity that exists for anyone, and I mean anyone, who wants to get into the non-food franchising business. You know, we tend to think of McDonald's and 7-Eleven when we think of franchises, but there are literally tons of existing franchises and new ones to be born that are not involved in food. Carpet cleaning, oil changes, elder care, and as you'll soon hear, even involving such things as car washing and pet care. And get this, you can work for a franchisor, a franchisee, start your own franchise, or be an investor in a franchise. The opportunities are all over the place, no matter what your age. And as you'll hear John say, there are even parts of the world where the franchise business is still relatively untapped. Okay, so let's jump into part two of my episode with John Austinson of Franbridge Consulting and learn about how you can take advantage of the opportunities offered by non-food franchising. Now we're going to get into the essence of looking forward. There are two components to that. And the first component is, of course, looking into the future. And we don't ask our guests to be soothsayers, especially when we think about things like pandemics. Who would know that that was going to happen? But based on their knowledge of the area of expertise they have, in your case, it's non-food franchising, John, we'd like to have them think maybe over the next three to five years, maybe the 20s, where do you see trends or changes in the non-food franchising world, thinking maybe in terms of the number of franchises, the kinds of franchises? Who becomes a franchisee? How many of people do that? What they sell? All of those kinds of things. Sales growth projections. What do you see? Common threads I'm hearing today that I see carrying forward would include, hey, I'd like to have a smaller workforce. I'd like for it to be less labor dependent. I think that a lot of business owners got burned in the recent environment where people were getting paid to stay at home or paid not to work by the government. So I, I think that will continue. I think that more of the remote work from home, obviously, has caught a lot of headlines that companies have made adjustments. And so quite a few of our clients say, hey, we'd love to have businesses that don't require a physical location, at least not one that's customer facing. And so I mentioned some examples of a service-based business or, you know, we own a driveway franchise ourselves. 
We don't have to have a physical location for that. And so it is much more variable cost. You don't have that lease payment. And I think coming out of COVID, there's just this nervousness about owning a brick and mortar spot that is subject to the whims of the government or a national pandemic. People want control. That's why they get into business ownership. And I think that they're also attracted to more opportunities where they can exercise more control and it's less dependent on external factors. That would definitely be a trend. I also see technology playing a bigger role. I joked about Amazon resistant being a a factor that people look for. But oftentimes with franchising, you're bringing a white collar approach to a blue collar industry, you know, to a highly fragmented space. You're coming in with that brand power. You know, in some cases, some of the franchises we work with actually have a patented technology with their app. You know, that's a great differentiator. In other cases, it's simply using systems and 3D design or being able to make quotes on an iPad, but the customer site versus others, you know, back the napkin envelope. And it's the degree of professionalism that I think customers want as well that they expect out of their service providers. And so definitely see that. And I always say that no matter what the economy is, no matter what's going on with inflation or other concerns, people are going to spend on the things they're passionate about. They're passionate about their health, their homes, their kids, and their pets. Those are industries that by and large did fairly well during COVID. And I just see those trends continuing. I think people say what really matters, that's where they're going to put their money. Sticking with this couple of things, first of all, with this increase in people who have left their jobs and are looking for opportunities, and we'll get to opportunities, are you projecting that there will be over the next several years an increase in the number of franchisors? as well as franchisees? And are you predicting that maybe there'll be new businesses that will be emerging in that world? 100%. No, roughly 300 franchise brands come on board every year, new franchise brands in the US alone. And we're seeing a wider variety of industries represented from bookkeeping firms to marketing agencies to thinking of that B2B space as well as, you know, a lot of B2C models and whether it be summer camps for kids or swim lessons, pets, pet boarding. I helped a company franchise recently that specializes in canine, specialized canine for service dogs for law enforcement as well as those that are disabled. You know, you think about those macro trends, we've got the aging population. Well, there are franchises that provide the in-home care, but there are also franchises that provide you know, wheelchair ramps and stair lifts and those accessibility, mobility type, retrofitting a bathroom, you know, helping people age in place. What I find is a lot of those that are stepping into business ownership through franchising have a big heart for their community. You know, they want to get involved in the local chamber of commerce and sponsor the Little League baseball team and, you know, really find a why behind it that they're able to deliver to, to those around them in their community. I mean, that's one of the benefits about franchising is you're not having to start it on your own. But in that local community, the more that you can put down grassroots efforts, that usually bodes well. And so definitely see a wider variety of companies. I mean, we've got partners. Uh, we, we just franchised a chiropractic clinic the other day, had 12 locations. They said, hey, we've got a good thing going. And frankly, they're probably operating as a franchise without realizing it. You know, right. franchise really by definition is a shared brand, you know, support coming down from home office yeah. or corporate, and then some sort of royalty or, or fee coming back to the home office. So they were doing all those things. It's important to get them on the right path of franchising. But those overall things, health and wellness, fitness, we, we just did an IV drip, fights free radicals in the body, boost immunity, fights disease at the cellular level. I mean, has, have we ever cared more about that than right now? You know, right. those types of businesses, that's where health is moving and franchising is right there to support it. I find this fascinating. 
I don't mention this on the episodes, but you actually have given me a chance to mention it. For many years, I was an expert, quote unquote, on marketing to people over 50 and wrote a book about that. And in the last chapter of the book, which happens to be one of the reasons why I started looking forward, it was all about the future. Now, of course, I wrote that in the late 1980s. And I predicted there would, of course, be tons of opportunities for this tidal wave that was going to be inexorably coming along. And when I hear you talk about this, it certainly resonates with me because I was seeing it years ago. And it seems like now with the baby boomers that it's, it's really taking off. I have one other question for you about the future. And it's something you touched upon earlier. You said there are businesses, in this case, you used foreign companies that may be coming into the United States with their franchises. I know you talked about South America. So I'd like to have you elaborate on that, not only if it's just foreign companies coming into the United States, that's one thing, but if you're actually seeing potentially that it's the other way around and this company going into that foreign country, and what are you seeing as far as intercontinental or whatever we call this franchising? We're seeing an expansion. I'm a big believer in the multinational approach. I do think a lot of newer franchisors want to maximize their growth, say in the U.S. before going international. But any business international that sees the size of the U.S. market has an interest in eventually growing here. And what they're realizing is the franchising in some cases may be a better path to doing that because, again, you have those with skin in the game that know the U.S. market. They're going to really be a partner. So it's a true partnership just aligning those interests. And the way that oftentimes you see it going both ways, companies leaving the U.S. to franchise elsewhere as well as those coming here, oftentimes they'll use what's called an area developer arrangement or master franchisee, where essentially someone will buy the rights to the whole country or to a segment of the country, and then they will go and sell locations, and they will become the expert at, on the ground in that market. We had a coding and programming technology franchise in Hungary, the largest school that was looking to enter the U.S., and they were looking for an area developer to really buy the rights to the entire U.S. And it was going to be cheap, but they had a very valuable proposition where it was online training and, and then localized training that had already been translated into English. And they had some uniques about what they're able to provide versus others in the market already doing that. But that's how they look to enter the U.S., just as one example. Is that a trend? Thinking in terms of looking forward, do you see more of this multinationalism occurring? I do where there's a unique. I think there are a lot of companies that would like to enter the U.S., but unless they have a unique about them that really is differentiated, it's just a different flavor of a Mexican restaurant, you know, let's say, it's not going to be easy coming into the U.S. I mean, starting a franchise, you know, you have a successful model, which isn't easy enough to come up with on your own, but then once you choose to franchise it, you're still in those first couple of franchises before there are a lot of locations. I mean, it's easy to go sell a 7-Eleven. Now everybody knows what it is. Right. But a brand that doesn't have that cachet just yet and that awareness, they've got to make some concessions. They've got to work extra hard. And it really is key that you know, you've got a strong leadership team in place that has some franchise experience or they bring in some franchise experience because I think that franchise or franchisee dynamic is unique. And you need to have someone on the team that understands how to support franchise owners. But you also have to have a unique about the business. There's got to be a reason for being some proprietary nature that someone else can't replicate very easily to create a barrier to entry. Yeah, I remember when I was involved in marketing at other phases of my career, the phrase which 
probably is still used was you need a unique selling proposition. And that's kind of what you're talking about, isn't it, John? 100%. Yeah. 100%. We've got a truck with a big old crane arm on the back. It's like a roller. It goes up to roll off dumpsters, rolls back and forth, smashes down the waist to about one quarter of the original size. It saves three out of four trips to the landfill for that end dumpster user. So you think contractors, you think manufacturing companies, distribution centers, great model. No one ever would have thought about, well, that is a patented design, but multiple franchises have a license to that patent. And they do the production of these vehicles over in Europe. And so right now the business is still domestic and yet they're manufacturing in Europe. So there can even be some back-end synergies between countries from a supply chain standpoint, not just on the front end. That's an excellent point. I hadn't thought about that. The other reason why we call this podcast Looking Forward, John, is because looking forward usually connotes something positive. I'm looking forward to that chocolate Sunday, right? <laughs> or going to the Eagles game if you're like me and you're from Philadelphia, right? So it's upbeat. We see opportunities in looking forward. And I don't have to tell you, you've touched on this. A lot of people have lost or quit their jobs during COVID. But Others are, for whatever reason, seeking new jobs or careers. You have students who are trying to figure out, what do I major in? What do I do with my life? And then you have, you've touched on these two as well, entrepreneurs and investors. So what opportunities do you see for any of these different kinds of people? It doesn't have to be all of them, but where do you see opportunities for them? You know, whether it be starting a franchise or it could be working for a franchise. They don't have to be the, the leader. Yeah, absolutely. And year to date, we've done deals with those from their 20s to their 60s. So we cover a wide gamut. And within that, the trends that we see moving forward, I've got quite a few clients. Most of our deals are those late 30s to early 50s. I'd say that's kind of the sweet spot of where you see the most action. But quite a few of our clients say, hey, I've got a little too much gray in my hair. I don't really want to go sit for an interview and for someone else. I've been there, done that. I've always wanted to be a business owner. Maybe now's the time. Maybe this is the path to take. I see a lot of others that are, you know, popping their head up in their mid thirties that have said, Hey, we've been grinding for a while and, you know, I'm kind of tired of working for the man, building someone else's empire. I want to build my own. Yeah. Maybe now's the time to, to start where I see an opportunity for those that may be a little less capitalized, like in their twenties, for instance, would be partnering with an investor. So entrepreneur investor partnerships. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. We've got multiple general managers on our team. They're in their late twenties. And they've got a little bit of experience behind them. They know enough to be dangerous, but they don't have the capital to invest in a franchise. However, we'd love for them to put a little bit of skin in the game. And then we set them up for success and we coach them from the sidelines. I jump on one or two calls a week with each of them, but I'm not involved in the day-to-day operation. We're able to give them a fancy title of president of, you know, again, to use that example, the driveway company of Atlanta. Our guy is killing it. And it's because the incentives have been aligned He didn't have to put forward a heavy investment, but he still has skin in the game. So I'd say if you're younger, trying to find those investors that will sponsor you, they love the idea of owning a business. They just don't want to run the day-to-day. And in turn, a lot of investors with disposable cash on the sidelines trying to find those GMs. And I'd say threading the needle in that is the big challenge for me going forward, Jeff, is kind of matchmaking, not just with the brand, but with the partnerships. I see a big opportunity. We're bringing a recruiter onto our team that's going to help our investor clients find those general manager candidates because I'd say that's the biggest question I hear is how do we find them? And we brought on someone else recently that now coaches our clients on how to line your interest with that general manager and set them up for success. Okay. 
a few follow-up questions. Let's first take a look at backgrounds that people need to have. Again, I mentioned students even. So what kinds of backgrounds do people need to have? Let's focus on that. And at the moment, we're thinking about people who might want to have a senior level or ownership level in franchising. What kind of a background, education, experience does somebody need to have? The great thing about franchising is it allows you to switch careers. Most franchisors I know would rather you not have the industry experience. (laughs) And so, you know, they don't want that baggage. They'd rather train you up. So I'd say being willing to learn, you know, obviously being a hard worker, doing what it takes, but I think being coachable. Some of my clients have to explain, you're not going to be a good fit for franchising because you're too entrepreneurial. You've got to put your thumbprints all over everything. You can't stay within the bounds. But for many, including those that have started existing businesses on their own, it's just a better path. And they come to me and say, hey, I've been there, done that. I'd rather now be able to follow the playbook and just go execute. So I definitely see that very prevalent. But no, I'd say being good with people. You know, When I was at Shelf Genie, we'd have candidates go through our process and consider purchasing. And they would say, wait a minute, your marketing teams are making our phones ring. Your call center is answering the phone, booking appointments. You've got a product support team. You've got all the technology systems to manage the whole way through the process. What do we do on a day-to-day basis? And I explained to them, one, get involved in the local community, grassroots efforts, and then two, find and hire great talent, incentivize, retain them, make tough calls when needed. And really, that's what sets apart the great franchise owners from the average is your ability to work with people. A lot of my clients have a sales background. Well, that's a great skill set. However, many don't, and they hate the idea of selling. And in those cases, I say, well, that's fine. You know, understand your admin operations role. Maybe your first key hire is going to be a salesperson out there on the front lines. And so oftentimes we're looking to complement that their background and their skill set. But what I find, Jeff, is oftentimes people have been stuck and they've been pigeonholed. I mentioned the young general manager that's leading our driveway business. He was a CPA for a big four accounting firm for the past five years. He was eager to break out of the walls and yeah. go build something. And his sales spirit and drive is now coming out and he's able to live his best life and really fulfill his intuitive you know, desires. And so it's been fun to see people really be able to change not just the trajectory on, but really live out who they are. Yeah, kind of a re-careering. And what you spoke about there seems like its character traits are very important. Let's get back to the worker bee. A lot of people got their start working for a franchise. Typically, it was a food franchise. It was a QSR, to use your terminology, a quick service restaurant, okay? Are there opportunities for workers, whether they're younger or older, in the non-food franchising world? Absolutely. In the U.S., again, 800,000 franchise locations, 8 million employees. You're averaging 10 per location. I've got some clients where they don't need any employees. They're a one-man show based on the type of franchise they get into. And then others that require very large teams to scale that business. So no, it's creating jobs. And so absolutely. I think you also get a firsthand view if you step in and work for a franchisee. You get to understand business ownership. You get to see what they go through on a day-to-day basis, how they handle it. Franchising is a unique hybrid. It's I call it B2C and B2B because ultimately you're operating as a business, but you're spending your own money from your pocket. And so it is this unique hybrid. But no, whether working for a franchisee, also working for the franchisor. I gave my example of my background, but oftentimes if you have a marketing background, most franchise brands have a marketing team. Most have a training team. Most have some sort of technology resource in-house or resources. 
Obviously, by industry, you're going to have you know, some specialized skills as well. But a lot of times, there are roles within a franchisor that can then give you a taste of getting to see a large group of franchisees and what they go in day in, day out. So different ways to get involved in franchising from different angles. And again, it's just a big piece of our economy that oftentimes gets overlooked. Yes, that's terrific that you talked about the franchisor hiring people as well as the franchisee. Just to clarify for some people who may not be aware of this, when John says B2B, he means business to business. And when he says B2C, he means business to consumer. And there's where the hybrid comes in. You touched on this before, John, but it'd be worth your saying it again. Where do you see areas of franchiser growth, the opportunity to create a franchise? to jump onto a franchise that's just sort of in the nascent stages. It might just take off. Where do you see that? Yeah, let's look at an example, an uh, international example. We had a company that grew a car wash brand over in Ireland. I believe they've got the most locations of any brand. They entered the US. They, they're now in seven different countries. It's a waterless car wash. They use ionizing scrub that allows them to do, set up pop-ups without water in parking lots and parking decks, as well as they have an app that allows them to Uberize the model and come to you. So yeah, that would be one example of innovation within an industry. Let's think about the painting industry. That's a large commoditized space, right? Ultimately, you're competing on price, you're competing on you know speed, that sort of thing, and, and brand awareness in some cases. Well, there was a brand that recently came down from Canada after selling out their Canadian locations, all the franchisees in Canada entered the U.S., and this is a business that actually has a patented paint and a patented application process. It was started by a couple of chemists and they created a paint that when they apply it with heat and spray, they can provide a 15-year warranty because it provides a factory finished look that does not peel. And so innovation within known industries, I mean, the car wash industry hasn't been innovated in probably 100 years. And so right. now you've got a waterless opportunity. So those are examples of innovation where you do see the cross borders in the opportunities, I'd say, look around, see what is needed in your local market. Also see, you know, what are people saying? What is your spouse saying? We could use a better one of these. We've had really bad service every time that we've used this type of industry. Or in turn, what are we saturated with? We don't need another oil change in some cases because yeah. we've got one on every corner. And so I'd say some market awareness, start having those conversations, interviewing those around you. What are those common themes that you're hearing? And then once you get a feel, Pop your head up and let's look at what's around that could be a fifth of that. Okay, that's terrific. Very good ideas. John, one other question about opportunities. Just out of curiosity, are there any parts of the world where you think franchising has not been capitalized upon and could be over the next several years? I think the low-hanging fruit, again, from a U.S. perspective, would be the European market. I think that's underpenetrated in a lot of ways. I've done a few podcasts o- over in Europe recently. And, you know, I think, obviously, you've got to have someone on the ground that knows that local market. But I think, you know, again, with that area developer model, going into a country, especially one that has a shared language, less barriers to entry, less friction in that entry process can make a lot of sense. So, you know, I'd say, you know, South Africa is an example, Australia, we've had a lot of interest in Australian franchising. So any English speaking countries makes an English brand easier to migrate. But also where's the entrepreneur spirit alive? Where's the GDP growing? Where is the business environment favorable from a government regulatory standpoint? Those are some of the things that I would key in on. But I think the low hanging fruit again would be Europe as, as a first step under penetrate. Okay. 
That's great, John. One of the things we like to do on Looking Forward is to have our guest expert provide some tips to our listeners on their area of expertise. And we know that not only are you a a franchising expert and do you get involved with franchises, you also consult about franchises. And you talked a little bit about that with the young people working with the investors and that sort of thing. So realizing that this is something you could do a whole show on, what are a few key tips that you would give to our listeners on where the best franchising opportunities might be now or how they could go about finding the right franchise for them or get started? What do you suggest? Absolutely. You know, Jeff, as we said, there's 4,000 franchise brands in the U.S. and 300 coming on board every year. And if you do some Googling around, you're going to see a lot of things you like, probably some things you don't like. But the challenge there is you're going to see the best foot forward from each franchise brand and you're going to see their marketing materials and you're not going to get to see behind the scenes. And that's where I come in along with my team. And the great thing is we never get paid a nickel by our clients. It's a wonderful model where we represent hundreds of franchise brands on the back end. For them, they pay us the sales and marketing costs, so it never gets passed on to our clients. And so it allows us to really sit on the same side of the table with our clients as we take them through what we've designed as a very streamlined process in which we get to know them, we know the questions to ask, we know what filters to then use to bring them the right opportunities that are available in their market. I will typically review close to 10 opportunities with them that fit their profile. We'll work with them to narrow that down to three or four to then actually have a conversation with, with the franchisor. They will then take them through a very streamlined process in which they introduce them to the financials, introduce them to other franchise owners within the system. They'll review the franchise disclosure document with them, go through every aspect, eventually bringing them on site for a day, day and a half with their team. And at any point in time, the candidate can drop out of the process and say, this isn't going to be the right fit for me. But what we like to do with our clients is to hold their hand as they go through the process, help them think about the funding opportunities. You know, how are we going to pay for this, whether it be a loan, an SBA loan is very common here in the U.S., Uh, whether it be tapping into their retirement plan and self-directing that. We've got some mechanisms that from a tax benefit standpoint there. And so we help them on the legal side and just really serve as a sounding board so they're not in this alone. You know, we know these franchisors. We've seen what resonates with others around North America in large part. And so we're able to really guide and use our background and expertise in helping them find that right fit. I hear you. What I'd like you to add to that is there are going to be quite a few people who won't be able to work with you for whatever reason. So what guidance would you give that person? They may need some guidance on working with somebody like you. Where do they find somebody like you? What would you tell them? Somebody says, geez, you know, I'm thinking about getting involved in franchising. Maybe I'm going to leave my job like you did. What would be a few salient points that you would say to that person, whether they work with you or not? Yeah, I highly recommend working with a consultant, a consultant that has a background in franchising. Ideally, they have owned a franchise themselves if they're asking you to buy one. And so the franchisee, potentially, you know, franchisor background, I would take a hard look at who you work with, but I would definitely work with someone to understand what's going on behind the scenes. And again, we're more than happy to share resources, whether or not we work directly together. Uh, We have a book coming out in in the third quarter on non-food franchising. If you sign up for our monthly newsletter on our website, framebridgeconsulting.com, we'll make sure that every one of your listeners, Jeff, receives a copy of our book. But again, we would love to hop on a call as well as provide additional resources of recordings we've done in the past, I think could open the eyes and then also fill in some of the blanks on the understanding of franchising. Fantastic. 
One other question before we get to how people can find out more about you and that book that's coming out and all this other stuff. And thank you for the very generous offer, which I want you to repeat. Are there many people who would hang up a shingle and say, I do what John does? There are quite a few. And how does one differentiate? I would look at that past history. How long have they been doing it? What were they? Have they ever owned a franchise? Have they owned multiple franchises? Ideally, if they've been on the franchisor side too. You know, you're not always going to be able to check all those boxes, but I think that having someone with that rich history that understands that they can also relate to you and understand the shoes that you're walking in. Have they published articles? Do they have books? Do they go on podcasts? Someone that is active out there, that is engaged, that knows the latest brands and opportunities, I think being very plugged in is what I would recommend. Great tip. John, this has been enlightening. It's been enjoyable. I've learned quite a bit myself. I'm sure the listeners have. How can our listeners find out more about you, about Frambridge Consulting, the book again, and anything else you want to let them know about? Yeah, take a very simple first step. Come out to FranBridgeConsulting.com. That's FranBridgeConsulting.com. And sign up for our monthly newsletter. We put out some great content, I believe, once a month, sometimes twice. But that would be a first step. And, and we'll reach out to you, share some additional resources. If it makes sense, let's hop on a call as well. So that's a good way to get connected. And then follow us on social media. LinkedIn is where we provide the most content, typically five or six times a week. But follow us on social media and I uh, would love to connect. Okay. Do you want to repeat the book offer again and, and tell us a little bit more about the book? Yeah, really excited about our book that's releasing in Q3. We've got some great contributors to it, but it's a focus on non-food franchising. Again, providing education, really soup to nuts on franchising, what it is, how it works, the pros and cons, uh, how the process goes about, and then our suggestions on tips and, and tricks. would love to provide a copy to every one of your listeners, Jeff, that has an interest. And you can receive one by coming out to our website, sign up for our newsletter, and uh, we'll make sure that you get a copy. That sounds fantastic and very generous. And it sounds like all this year, but maybe especially quarter three is going to be very exciting for you, John, and for your company. John, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for being our guest expert and looking forward. And I wish you nothing but continued success. Thank you, Jeff. Appreciate you having me. I look forward to carrying the conversation forward. Thank you. Well, that's it for this episode of Looking Forward. I'd wholeheartedly recommend that you take advantage of John Austinson's very generous offer to get a free copy of his new book on non-food franchising. To learn more about John, his business, and how to get that free book, you can contact Frambridge Consulting through the address that John gave on the show, or you can visit my website, www.jeff-ostroff.com to get the details. And if you like this episode, please give it a like or a positive review on the podcast hosting site where you listen to it. And why not tell a friend or family member about this or any other Looking Forward episode? I mean, there's nearly a hundred of them. Any one of them will not only point you in the direction of a potential global opportunity, but it will also make for a great conversation. Oh, and one more thing. You can also let me know if you have any ideas for trend topics or guest experts that we might want to feature on Looking Forward, or if you'd be interested in having me on your podcast or program. I promise you, I have a lot to say. Thanks for listening to this episode of Looking Forward. I hope you've enjoyed it and learn something. I also hope that you'll tell others about our show. 
If you have any comments or ideas for future episodes, please contact me at my website, jeff-ostroff.com. That's J-E-F-F-Ostroff, O-S-T-R-O-F-F.com. This is Jeff Ostroff inviting you to join us again next time on Looking Forward.